Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Have you ever tried to explain Jesus to a kid? Uh, some of it's easy. Jesus is love. Like, that's easy, okay? Jesus is full of grace. It's a little more complicated to explain. And then you get to Jesus is God, and man, I'm telling you, like, that one's just difficult. You got the kids sitting there going, wait, Jesus is God, but he was born as a baby? Uh, Jesus is God, but he prays to God? Like, let's be honest. If, which of you even really understand the divinity of Jesus? It's complicated stuff. Best of all are when younger kids talk about Jesus and God. Uh, I love my little Sadie. She has uh, just got the sweetest little heart. Um, and sometimes we'll be doing bedtime routine and we're getting ready and I'm tucking her in and she'll say, Mom and Dad, I love you more than anyone else in the whole world. Uh, well, except for Jesus and God. And it's almost always Jesus and God with her and with a lot of kids. It's like they know that there's just something so crazy big and weird about Jesus that it's like, yeah, he's God, but he's not quite, right? Well, Jesus is God. Jesus is our God. And that's part of the, the best good news ever that we've been talking about at Central in this series. And we're in the, in the last of those uh, sermon series messages today. And uh, if you're frustrated because this whole Jesus is God thing is a little confusing to you and hard to grasp, don't worry. It was hard for his closest followers to grasp. Jesus practically had to spell it out for them. And we talked a few weeks ago about Jesus forgiving this paralyzed man's sins after he was let down through a roof to Jesus. He forgave him. Jesus, the first thing he did is forgave him his sins. And it was Jesus' subtle way of saying, Hey, everybody, I can forgive sins. I'm not your normal human. I'm God who has come to earth as a human. Okay, so he didn't say it quite in, in that many words, but... The impression was fully felt by the teachers of the law who wanted to kill him for blasphemy. But even his closest followers, either they didn't quite pick up on Jesus' subtle hints at divinity, or they couldn't fathom it to the point that they just couldn't really say it out loud. It's a difficult concept, but it's a concept that's worth looking into and it's worth understanding. And if Jesus is God, what does that mean for us? And so we're going to look at a conversation between Jesus and some of his disciples today. Uh, this is at a moment where the tension, is, it just seems to be getting really high. Uh, the disciples, they're not dumb people. They know that there's danger lurking. People seem to have it out for Jesus. And if they have it out for Jesus, they probably have it out for them too. And so we're going to pick it up here in John 14. It's John 14 verses 1 through 10. And Jesus says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you, would I have told you that I, I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. For, for from now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen 
me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. And you can hear how Jesus, in the first few verses here, it's like he's trying to encourage his disciples. He's pretty much saying to them, guys, everything's going to be okay. And he sort of kind of uses this argument uh, that probably most parents have used with their kids at times. Um, it's sort of this claim to authority over the situation. And I do this all the time with my girls. At nighttime, it seems to just kind of be one of those times where it happens because they get scared about any of a billion possible things they get scared about. And so what do I say to them? I'm like, honey, it's okay. I'm in the house. Do you really think I'm going to let anything happen to you? But really, let's be honest. What am I going to do if a freak tornado hits or a nuclear bomb hits Janesville? And our kids aren't, they're not dumb either. They get it. And that's why they're still scared at night most of the time when I try to encourage them. They know you and me are, we're, we're limited people. But Jesus, he's 100% trying to get a point across to his disciples. He is unlimited. Looking at verse 1, he's like, you believe in God, believe also in me. I, I look at that and I'm like, whoa, I, I couldn't say that to my kids. He, he's saying here that whatever, whatever you've grown up believing and knowing that God can do, I can do the same. And I only wish that I could make that claim to my kids when they're scared at night. Uh, my assurance is though, they just don't go to the length that Jesus can go. And I think my kids know that. And then Jesus starts to talk uh, about preparing a place for them. And he says in verse 4, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And again, this sounds kind of like something that I might do to try to comfort my girls at night. Uh, after saying that they're going to be fine because, you know, big bad me, daddy is, is here and I'm, I'm not going to let anything happen. And they haven't gotten to the point where they've started to laugh at that kind of thing yet too much. Um, but then I often follow it with something like, I'm literally going to be right downstairs. You know exactly where I am. There's nothing for you to be scared of. Jesus assumes that the disciples get it when he says this to them. He assumes that they know, the, they know the way to their destination. The problem is, it seems like maybe they don't even know the destination itself. Listen to what Thomas's reply to Jesus was. Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Thomas actually says, how, how can we know the way, Lord? We don't, like, he just, he doesn't get any of this. When you read this, doesn't it seem like this has to be one of those questions where Thomas, maybe he really does know the answer, but he's just not sure enough to actually say it as it is. How could he not know the way and what Jesus' purpose was yet on earth? How could he not know that Jesus was talking about preparing a place for them in heaven? How can he not know that Jesus is the way to heaven? He's got to know this answer, right? He's been with Jesus for so long now. I remember time on the bus as an eighth grade student, when I, I, I kind of did something like this. One of my good friends, who was a girl, uh, rode on the bus with me. We were, we were really good friends. And she said one day that there were two people in our class that she liked, you know, like in the romantic sense. And she told me one of the names. It was a buddy of mine. And she didn't tell me the other name. She had me guessing for like three days who it was. And Well, about halfway through the, all the names in, of boys in my class, I was pretty sure that the second name was probably mine. Uh, but I just couldn't get myself to say it because I would have felt really, really stupid if she's like, no, dork, it's not you. You're my buddy. That's so weird. Ew, how can you even say that? Uh, and no lie, to me, it feels a little bit like Thomas 
has to know the answer to this question that he's asking Jesus, but he doesn't. And so Jesus has to spell it out for him. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is making it clear here. Jesus is the way. There's a road that leads to heaven. There's a road that leads to God. And Jesus is that road. Thomas's question is kind of like a question that I think we all pose, but we pose it in different ways. Jesus had already shown him that he was the way to heaven. And still, Thomas, he asks, what, the, what is the way? And we pose that very question, I think, every time we ask something like, how should I treat my neighbor? How should I spend my money? How should I go on with joy in the midst of such turmoil? How should I respond to the people around me that are so rude and awful to me? We ask these questions, but the truth is, I think Jesus, he's got to get a little exasperated when we ask. He's already shown us the way. In Jesus, we've been given what is essentially a treasure map for how to live. It's a treasure map for the way in which we're supposed to live. But we act kind of dumb about it sometimes. We act like, nah, Jesus, Jesus didn't teach me what to do in this exact purpose, in this tight spot of my life. Oh, really? Like, there really aren't too many questions left. You know the way to God. Jesus is that way. But Philip takes it one step further to show just how dense we can be as human beings. Jesus just gets done saying that if you know him, you know the Father. And then Philip pulls out this doozy. He says, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. I'm like, really? Really, Philip? Jesus got to be like, look at me. I am God. What more do you want? Honestly, Jesus' response, in reality, it's not a whole lot further, than that, from that, further from that. He says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with you, among you, such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? Jesus' exasperation, I think, is, is because Jesus already had answered Philip's request. In verse 6, Jesus talked about being the way. You, you want to know the way to God? It's through Jesus. But he clarified it even further in verse 7. He said, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. That sentence is probably the most powerful sentence that's uttered throughout the entire Bible. Jesus goes way beyond, I am the way, in that statement. This statement is actually the I am it statement. Here's what, he, here's what Jesus is really saying. He's saying, you know God because you have seen God in me. Like that, that's crazy. One commentator, he says that it might be better rendered in this verse 7 if, if it was read this way. If you attain a realization of who I am, you will know my Father also. Jesus couldn't have been saying it any more clearly. If these disciples of his have truly experienced Jesus, they've also experienced God the Father. They are one and the same. Jesus is the adequate pre presentation of the Father in human form. Uh, this presents to the disciples and really to us, I think, a really urgent question. If Jesus is God, what then should be our response to Jesus? Neither Thomas nor Philip seem to really be quite aware of Jesus' true identity. And because of it, I don't think that they were also sold out to him quite yet. They were followers of Jesus, but they weren't sold out. Now, does that sound like you at all today? It sounds like me. I know that. A lot of the time it sounds like me. I follow Jesus, but I can't say that I'm always sold out to Jesus. 
but I think being sold out is the only response that Jesus actually leaves for us to make. When something is so grand and vast and awesome, we sell out to it, right? Uh, Jesus talked about it actually in a parable. He said that there was, in this parable, he said there's a man who found a treasure in a field that he was digging in one day, and it was a treasure chest full of riches. But the problem was he didn't own the field. And so he put, he put the treasure back in the, the chest, he put the, the chest back in the hole, and he covered it up, and he went out and he sold everything that he had just so that he could go and buy that one piece of land. But here's the thing, that land had no house on it, but it had a treasure that would buy a hundred houses. That's worth selling out for. And if Jesus is really God, he's just as worth selling out for. He's worth turning our whole lives around just to know him a little more. We have a whole lot of Christian, po the, the Christian population who hasn't seemed to discover just how amazing Jesus really is. Otherwise, they would have turned their whole lives over to him. You know, Jesus makes God known to us. There's, there's no one and nothing in this world that's worth studying more than studying Jesus. Who is he? What makes him excited? What hurts his heart? What does he ask people to do? Every one of these answers to every one of these questions is telling you about God. Jesus makes it clear in this story in John 14 that if you know Jesus, then you know God. Hebrews 1.3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Question really is this, what are you doing to get to know Jesus more yet today than yesterday? Jesus didn't come to this earth simply to save you from your sins by giving you forgiveness. He came to do more than that. He came to change you. He came to show you a better way forward. He came to teach you what truth is and to show you a better life. And if we're not careful as Christians, we can become all too comfortable with knowing our sins are forgiven than in actually knowing God on a personal level. The way to knowing God on a personal level is getting to know Jesus on a personal level. The question is, what do you really want? Do you want a Christianity that rests in what's already been done for you through forgiveness and brings forth really no present value maybe in, in right now today? Or do you want a Christianity that continues to grow and brings life and beauty to each and every day anew? The only way to have that ongoing growth is through a relationship with Jesus that's actually growing. See, I think stagnancy with Jesus is just not, it's, it's not meant to be an option for us. Lately, I've been reading another book by another really great author and preacher, uh, the late Dallas Willard. And something... Something he said the other day really hit me. He said, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. And why do I think that's such a valuable thought for us as we're thinking about Jesus as our God this morning? It's this. We can become so focused that as Christians, we receive God's free grace that we can actually adopt an attitude that any effort that I can make to know Jesus more is just kind of unnecessary. Because we get this idea that I'm good, I've, I've got grace. But this just, this couldn't be any further from the truth. I want to see a church that actually has power because it actually does more than rest on the free grace that Jesus offers. I want to see a church that has power because its people live every day in the power of the one that offers that grace. Willard also says this, The church of God is present where people gather together in the power of the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. 
It is possible to do church and to have it be simply a human exercise. I don't want church to be just a human exercise. You see, Jesus died to forgive our sins, but he also rose from the dead to bring us power over all sin and death. Are you missing the power of God in your life? Then my suggestion is that maybe you've stopped your relationship with Jesus just a bit too short. Maybe you've become content with the idea of being forgiven and that's it. But Jesus wants more to do in your life. God is so much bigger than what you or I sometimes make him out to be. God wants to do things in and through your life that up to now you haven't even been able to imagine or comprehend. So maybe you've been playing the the part of Thomas or, or the part of a Philip. Maybe you've been following Jesus, but your vision of him has been limited. Maybe it's time to take off the blinders or allow those blinders to be taken off by God and begin to know Jesus in a more deep and intimate way. There's no grand secret to what it takes to get to know Jesus more. Is knowing Jesus more on your mind each and every day? When you're in love, that's all you can think about. You just want to know that person that you're in love with a little bit more today. And it can be that way with Jesus too. That moment that you spend getting to know Jesus today, it can actually become that thing that you look forward to, that moment that you live for. And if it's not, it can definitely grow into that. Love takes some effort sometimes. Just like any other relationship, you've got to spend time with Jesus. You've got to study him. Uh, Do you know what makes him excited and what saddens his heart? Yeah, I've been... I've been studying for 23 years. I've been studying those kinds of things in my wife. I know that she gets excited when she sees kindness in me instead of harshness. You know, I've watched her face uh, when when I've been a jerk to somebody and I just, I don't like, I don't like doing that to her anymore. And here's the thing. I didn't realize that some of those things I did were jerky before I started to read her. And now I do because I've I've gotten to know my wife and she's helped me to see some of those things. Why should I study my wife and what makes her happy and sad and not study Jesus and what he enjoys and what he regrets? But who of us isn't guilty of putting the time staking task of getting to know Jesus on the back burner? We all put it on the back burner. But it doesn't have to be that way any longer. Today, you can actually choose to make knowing God a priority. You can choose to spend a little more time knowing him better tomorrow than you actually did today. Begin doing one thing to help you know him more. And I'm telling you, the benefits, it's always going to be worth it. I was listening to a guy, Dave Ramsey. A lot of you have maybe done his financial peace uh, university stuff. Uh, I was listening to him on a podcast this week, and he said something that, uh, man, was so good about the idea of discipline. He said, it's easy to be disciplined if you want what it gives you. I can't tell you how much I love that idea. I'm going to say it again. If it's easy to be disciplined if you want what it gives you, okay? We, we think of spending time with Jesus, our God, as this discipline that's just so hard to carve into our day sometimes. But the real question is, do you want what that time with Jesus will actually give you? If you want the benefits of knowing Jesus more, the discipline to get to know Jesus becomes really easy. Maybe the real question has been for many of us that maybe we haven't really wanted Jesus enough. We should ask God to give us more desire to know him more. And maybe getting to know him more will kind of just come naturally. Maybe that one thing that you can do that will be well worth the time is finding time in your schedule for solitude. Just you and Jesus. Maybe it's a book that beautifully expresses things about Jesus that you never thought about before. 
Maybe it's a walk where you let Jesus speak into your mind and your heart away from the rest of the world. Maybe it's choosing to finally do that one thing that you've known is right for you to do, but you've been putting it off. You've been procrastinating. Fulfilling your purpose in this world is one way to draw closer to God, to know him more. You know, he puts us here to do work sometimes. And it's as simple as doing some of that work that he's called us to do that aligns us closer to his heart. Listen, God doesn't love you more because you work to know Jesus more. Like, that's just not how it works. But Jesus also doesn't want Thomas and Philip to go on knowing him only in part. Jesus wanted those guys to understand that he was the fullness of God in human form. Jesus wanted them to see him as more than a ticket into heaven. He was the way and the truth and life itself. Jesus is everything to us. Why wouldn't we want to know him more today than yesterday? Let's pray that God would put a burning passion in each of our hearts to know him more this week, and then the week after that, and the week after that, and the week after that. Uh, Whatever disciplines that you and I begin to live out in order to draw closer to Jesus, they will be well worth it because they're going to give us what we want, which is a closer relationship with Jesus. Let's fight for that relationship more. Let's fight for that relationship more starting today. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much that, that you are a God that is worth loving. You are a God that is worth knowing more. Jesus, being our God, is worth knowing more. And God, sometimes I'm, I'm completely guilty of just kind of being content with being a follower of Jesus, knowing that my sins are forgiven, and I'm just going to go out and kind of live my day the way I want to today. God, help me not to do that. Help me not to be content with where I'm at today in my relationship with you. But God, I pray that you would, you would instill a burning passion in my heart to know you more today than I did yesterday, to know you more tomorrow than I do today. Help me to spend time knowing you. God, I believe that this is a discipline that will give us more of what we want and it becomes a discipline that, that all of a sudden becomes easy because the more I know you, the better my life is. God, help us all to want that that relationship with you where we know you more today, every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.